Turn to somebody and say that, okay? Happy New Year, huh? Yeah. I like I like New Year's Day. It's and new the new beginning of a new year. You know, you get to start all over. And um, what a, what a great message! You think about it. In Christ, you get to start all over. And I hope that this morning, you, if you're a guest here, you can sit back and relax and enjoy being with us. My name is Tim, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. And uh, again, we're starting a a new new year with a new sermon series as well. So you're here at a great time. Uh, let's see, in your bulletin, you're going to notice inside your bulletin are some set of notes. If you'd like to follow along, we can fill in blanks and circle words. And you can even doodle if you like to do that. Also, we have in the bulletin a communication card. We do not have an altar call here. All we do here is, you know, we figure you can make your choice and your decision about Christ right where you're sitting. In fact, I think Christ would prefer that. And we hope that you will uh, make a decision today uh, based on the lesson. Maybe it's to come to church here more often. Maybe it's simply, I'm going, I'm going to take the words that I've heard today and take them to heart and start working on them. Um, and, but, but, but that card we take up at the end of our service when we take up our regular contribution. And by the way, if you're a guest here, you're under no obligation to give to this church. You're not here to, we're not here to, we don't want you here to get something from you. That's, we're here to give you something. But as members, you know, to keep the lights on, and to take care of other things, we do collect uh, a weekly contribution, so be generous. Uh, let's see. Inside your bulletin, you're going to see some information. Tonight, we're having our Next Year is Here celebration. That'll be here tonight. And it'll be here. It starts at 5 o'clock. Our services will start promptly at 5 o'clock. And then at 6 o'clock, we're going to start eating. So we're, the, the, the people that are speaking at this thing are motivated to finish on time. And maybe sooner. But then we're going to... Again, we're going to talk about uh, what, our, what is our theme for the year and a little bit about what we're planning to do in 2015. And then uh, uh, we're going to eat together and just have a good time talking about it and enjoying each other's company. Church, it's good to be together. It's always good to get everybody together. We had the Gill Christmas this past weekend. Uh, you say, isn't Christmas December 25th? Not in the Gill family. We have it always the next year. And we headed out of our house, had a great time, and you know, uh, my older brother was there. And what's that? They played darts. I got my my brother a dart board, and I said, "I've given you something, and you don't have to have a conceal and carry to to participate." He was disappointed, but it, but he got, but uh, but it's good to, when families get together during the holidays, and it's good every Sunday when we can be together like this. I get charged up by being with you. That is the truth. I get charged. Uh, this morning, we're at the Welcome Center. In between services, Gary Spurgeon is at the Welcome Center. And he starts preaching. And he gets the head going. And I'm going, what's going on here, Gary? He goes, there's darkness out there, but there's light inside the church building. Oh, hallelujah. And, and he just started talking about that. And it kind of juiced me up. He's, he's right. There's a lot of darkness out there. But here, we're all here in the kingdom of light. And so hope you will have, I hope the lights come on for you this morning as we look at look at some scripture. We're starting in a new series, and the series is simply a question, uh, a question that we ought to ask ourselves as we begin the new year, and it is, uh, who do you say I am? It's a question from Jesus, and today it's just an introductory type of lesson. We're going to look at a few things. We're going to look at where does our idea of Jesus come from, and a little bit about why should I 
have a clearer picture of who Jesus is about. I hope that will motivate you to come back and we learn together. This particular sermon series is related to our theme for this year. Maybe you can figure out the theme, though I've never said anything. Okay. Only one other person in this room knows. No, that's not true. Okay, but we'll, we'll see that tonight. Let's look. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn with me, or you can look up here on the screen with, with, the, with the advantage of PowerPoint. We can read this together. This is Matthew 16. This is a very familiar passage for me, and maybe it is for you. And yet when you read sometimes familiar things, words just leap out and grab you. And I have a tendency to bold and highlight and underline, uh, I, and, I, and I leave it there for you to see. Um, when I'm putting these sermons together. Let's read this together. This is in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? It's like he's done a little Gallup poll there, huh? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, and there's our question. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you. Same word for the Sermon on the Mount, blessed. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. <laughs> There's the greatest confession in the, perhaps in the Bible, and then Jesus says, Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> I think that's funny. But seriously, I do notice something. There's a challenge that Jesus gives his disciples And if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a follower of God, you're a Christian, you're a believer, however way you want to say it, you need to pay attention to that question. Because this this question of who do you say I am, there's a challenge here. And what's the challenge? How I see Jesus matters. Now, I know somebody says, well, I've already, I I, I can't help it. Forrest Gump, when they're on New Year's Eve, you know, and he says, Gump, have you found Jesus? He goes, so I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him. (laughs) And you know, and for a lot of us here, we talk about looking for Jesus or seeking God. He goes, I've already found him. I've already found him. But I guarantee you, when you became a Christian, when I became a Christian, I didn't know everything about Jesus. So I'm still looking at him. You follow me? It's not just enough to go, well, I found him and there he is. I want to know him inside and out. And as a believer, as a disciple, he's asking his disciples who've been with him for a couple of years now. They've been following him for a couple of years, listening to everything he's having to say, watched him do amazing things. He says, who do you say I am? He's saying, what you think of me matters. So this morning, if you can, I want you to tune out the person on your left and right. And don't worry about what they think. Jesus wants you to worry about what you think. He wants you to think about how you see him, because it matters. Now, before we talk about that, look, look at this. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, he was a preacher, famous preacher, what comes into our minds when we think about Christ is the most important thing about us. Would you agree with that? As a believer, it's so true. And if that's true, and it is, then it's my responsibility to have an accurate picture of Jesus. 
It doesn't fall to my parents. Although parents can have an impact on that. It doesn't fall to the, you know, my, my two boys grew up here. They grew up around me and my wife. And I know it may, you may think, or some people may think occasionally, well, that's all he's known. But let me tell you something. Sooner or later, my sons and your sons and you and I have to decide what we're going to believe about Jesus on our own. On our own. Does it make us independent of people? But it's got to be my own. That's why when Jesus says, who do you say I am? He happens to be saying it to people who are already following him. And that responsibility, that idea of it's my responsibility to have this accurate picture of Christ, that's what I'm hoping that we do on Sunday mornings for a while, will help you and I see who Jesus is really like. That this isn't just another series, but this will be a life-changing series for you and I. I say you and I because I think there's times I don't have sight of Jesus. I see nickels and noses as a preacher. You know what? That's what preachers do. They count nickels and noses. Did you know that? You know, I, I see church attendance, or I see, I see, well, how's this ministry doing? Or I get caught up in windshields because I own an auto glass business, or I get caught up in my grandchildren, or I get caught up in all the... You say, well, aren't those things good? They're all good. But sometimes I can lose my way, and sometimes I think Jesus wants to sit down with me and just simply say, Tim, who do you think I am? Because... When you see who I really am, it's going to make a big difference in your life. And I hope so. I want you to know I'm joining you here and trying to figure this out. What is Jesus really all about? If Peter, James, John, John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. If, if, if the disciples who followed Christ were challenged to do this, who followed with him physically, oh my. And wouldn't it be a challenge for you and I too? What greater challenge is there than to know the true picture of Jesus Christ. Now, before I talk about why we should do this, you're going to see why we, because Jesus talks about why. I notice he mentions some sources, some places where, and some things that influence your, your thinking and my thinking when it comes to how we view who Jesus is. And so he points out that my concept of him can be influenced, and I notice three different things in this passage. They happen to be three. You know, that's what preachers look for, three things, and there they are. They jump right out. What are they, Tim? Well, the first, the first place I find that I get influenced is my culture. My culture sometimes can influence how I see Jesus. Jesus says, who do people say the Son of Man is? He even tips his hand a little bit and goes, who do people say the Son of Man is? Hint, hint. But who do pe-? Even though people go, Jesus is the Son of God, they can answer it correctly on Jeopardy. Are you one of those people that says, why don't they do more Bible? You'd kill, right? I could kill in the Bible category. And you always see these real smart people, and then they get the Bible, and it's always the last category. People have no idea what the Bible says. And a lot of times our culture, honestly, our culture doesn't know what they're talking about. Isn't it interesting to me when you look at this passage, look at, look at this, it, it, when you look at this passage, Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. Never thought about this. Never even took the time to research this. What's so big about that? The town's about, some people say 60 to 120, I say town, the region, is between 60 
to 120 miles away. But this town area was, was, uh, was built by Herod the Great, and he called it Caesarea after Caesar. After Caesar. And you say, well, what's, what's so unique about this town? Oh, my goodness. It's away from the Jewish culture. It's, it's one of the most Gentile concentrated cities around. It, it, in this city, they have 14 different temples to the god Baal. There's, there's uh, Greek gods worshipped there. Superstition. Uh, it, it rains all over the place. People are superstitious in this town. There is not a Pharisee or a Sadducee in sight. The Jews had nothing to do with this town. It had some Jews in it, but no leaders bothered to go there. So Jesus peels away from Jerusalem and goes to this town that's pagan. And he asks them, who do people say I am? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Isn't that interesting? It's a culture. What are they saying? You know, and, and what kind of answers do they get? He gets all kinds of answers. You know, disciples had people asking, asking them, who does this guy think he is? And you know, the culture would say things like, he's the son of a carpenter. Right? They would say, he's a drunk. He eats too much. My, my mother said something to me. We were on fa- uh, FaceTime, and Danny moves the camera. Saddest thing, saddest thing I heard during the holidays. And he moves it over on Skype, and there's a picture of me. And she goes, man, you need to get on a diet, Tim. <laughs> and Happy New Year. <laughs> you know, Okay. And I did eat quite a bit. But, you know, Jesus was known as a guy who was a glutton and a drunk and a party animal. And some people said, he's nuts. He's cuckoo, cuckoo. He's crazy. He's a lunatic. And some people even said he was demon-possessed. That's the culture. You could you just, just read the Gospels. You're going to be surprised how many things they said about Jesus. He was crazy. He was nuts. All this kind of stuff. Then they'd say, they shot some names. John the Baptist. He's not John the Baptist. We know that. It's really clear he's not John the Baptist. Yeah, but he talks like him. He talks about the same things. And he's admired by people. That you know, It was sad when John the Baptist was killed. And he's back. He really wasn't dead at all. You know, Herod believed he was John the Baptist. And a lot of his friends thought he was John the Baptist that had come back from the dead. It's never, listen to me. It's never a good idea to make a decision about Jesus based on a poll. And Jesus is, is he really, really, really mad? Does he really care about what people think of him? I don't think Jesus ever cared about what people thought. You're crazy. So, what are you going to do about it? Bring it on. Hit me with your best shot. Come on. We'll kill you. <laughs> I'll be back in three days. Uh, sit, uh, prepare dinner for me. I'll be back. You're not going to get rid of me over an opinion of me. He knew what people thought of him. He had people say to his face, you know, uh, your family's outside and they think you're nuts. They're here to get you. they got the straight jacket and the paddy wagon right out here. No, he already knew what people said about him. He's setting things up. He's setting up for the, for the better question. Who do you say I am? And guys, I want you to know, it doesn't matter what other people think. I'm going to say it again. It doesn't matter what other people think. It matters what you think. 
Nobody can make you believe something. That's, you know, um, it is totally in your court. And so your, your, your idea of Jesus, your concept of Jesus matters. I don't know what your concept is this morning, but I hope you'll think about, how do I really see Jesus? Has my culture, has the American culture had an impact on how I see Jesus? You know, guys, have you ever thought about, is there, do I have too much American in me and not enough Christian in me? You ever cross your mind? Oh, we live in a, a, you know, a Christian nation. Really? We're living in a Christian nation? You know, one of the things that's interesting to me, a study revealed recently that they have determined that there's very little difference today between the American Christian and the American pagan. They said they're really not that much different, except they go somewhere and sit in rows at a church, and the pagans go and sit in rows at a movie theater. Pagans get together, watch sports and raw, and get all emotional and you know almost speak in tongues. And the religious culture does the same thing, but they just meet in other church buildings and stuff. Their lives are basically the same. Is that really what it has happened to us as a nation, as an American church? The American church? How much has the culture affected you? I can tell you, I see culture all over me. Personally. I find myself worrying about me, even at church, what people think about me, and what can the church do for me. Where's that come from? It's as if Jesus is supposed to help me achieve not His dream, but the American dream. How much has the culture affected you? Jesus takes them, these guys, out of their religious culture, so to speak, and puts them in the middle of the pagan cesspool of place and says, what do people say about me? Well, you know, in the last few minutes, I've heard all kinds of things. But here's what we've, here's what we've heard. And he says, well, what do you think? It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what you think, guys. Number two, here's another source, and that's my heritage. All of us here have some kind of heritage. You say, what are you saying? We're, well, we, we weren't here originally. We, go, we trace our roots. We can find them in different parts of the world, of course. But I'm not talking about just our DNA or our racial heritage. I'm talking about just the way we are as people. What we've grown up to believe. Our mother and father have taught us. Our family have taught us. The churches, we all have a religious experience or religious, many of us here, a religious heritage. We've been taught certain things. We were kids. It's funny. Jesus, um, when he asks them, who do people say I am? Man, the answers are just pouring out. Boo, 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 You know, there's John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Oh, man, all these guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, just the words are just pouring out of these guys. Isn't it interesting how we can tell we can tell people what others think of Jesus, but when it comes to us, we begin to stutter, we begin to hesitate. How do we see him? You know these guys had talked about 
who is this guy? You know, they, the, the disciples had talked amongst themselves. Who do you think this guy is? Remember when that storm was, a storm passed and peace be still, and they said, who is this guy? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So you know they were talking privately. What do Christians do when they get together privately besides complain and gossip and speculate? And That's changed, of course. We don't do that today. These guys are doing the same thing. What do you think this guy? You think, you think he's who he is? He claims to be that guy. Well, yeah, after all, he healed that guy. You saw that guy come back out of the grave. Wow, look at all the... I mean, he, he sure can cook. All the people he's fed. Wow, maybe it's him. And I just think it's interesting that when, he's, when these guys are asked, who do people say their heritage comes out? You know, I don't know, but I could see it. I could see this. These guys are sitting around, they're talking. And they, okay, who do you think, uh, who do people say I am? Well, if, should we tell him that people think he's crazy? I wouldn't. How about, you know, somebody thought he was demon-possessed. Should we tell him that? I don't think that's a good idea. What would be a safe answer? I got one. Jeremiah. John the Baptist. Elijah. Why is my voice getting deeper? Because I'm theology, the, you know, theology is coming out, and I'm speculating, and I'm religious. Who do you say I am? Huh? No, you should be saying, huh? You go, huh? Who do you? I mean, just imagine. There's, that, that, and think about it. John the Baptist, admired man. Admired talked about the kingdom of God. And Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. They sound, And after all, aren't they kind of related? They kind of talk alike. Somebody says he's Elijah. Why are they saying that? It's their heritage, tradition believed that, that, that Elijah would come back. You know, the Bible doesn't record the death of Elijah. He went up in a whirlwind. And, and uh, traditionally... Uh, it, uh, a tradition began to develop over time where the, the, fam- the Jewish families would leave their front door open during Passover and fill a glass with wine because they anticipated maybe Elijah would come. Tradition. These guys are spitting out stuff that's off the top of their head from their heritage. Jeremiah, what about him? Well, it was believed, traditionally a tradition developed, where Jeremiah was going to come back because he had, it was believed he hid the Ark of the Covenant. It's not in some warehouse in Washington, D.C. It disappoints you. But, but, but he's got it, and he's hidden in the cave, and he's going to come back, and he's going to take it out of the cave and restore the old-time religion we've always enjoyed. So they're giving some, some answers, but it's based on heritage. Guys, I'll tell you, tradition will mess with your view of Jesus. Well, I always grew up with this. I always loved that song. You know, how many times have you heard, you know, today with the Internet and today with, with so much research, it's very quickly you can find out, oh, that song isn't really true. That doesn't support the concept of Jesus. But it sounds so good, doesn't it? I love that song. I love the way. I, I grew up on that. You're telling me that's not true? No, not really. Oh, are you telling me it's a tradition? Yeah. Oh. Why does the Bible disappoint me so? Tradition, it'll mess with you. 
You know, Jesus says, who do you say I am? And I can Im- I'm imagining this. You can imagine what you want. I'm going to tell you what I imagine. There's a pause. After John the Baptist and Jeremiah and Elijah, one of the prophets, yeah. Well, who do you say I am? Well, and Peter, Peter's antsy. You know Peter, he's high strung. He's, got, he's always talking out of place. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. Right, guys? Guys? <laughs> Can I hear an amen from you? <laughs> you know, there's nothing. I mean, it's just him. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. He goes, I mentioned your heritage. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. It wasn't from your culture. It wasn't from your heritage. This was directly from my Father. Wow. I don't know if you think about this. I was thinking about the impact of Peter's statement here. This is, again, one of these passages I've read so much I've forgotten some things. But when he says this, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, He's he's saying you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He has gone against his culture and heritage. Do you realize that? He's broken Jewish law and Roman law with one statement. And that could have got him in trouble. Maybe that's why not all of them said at one time, you're the, you're the Christ, the Son of God. You know, you today, even today in some countries, guys, you go, go someplace in the middle of town and say, I'm a Christian and I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of... You might get it out before they cut your head off or throw you in jail. Peter, or he's breaking civil law. He's breaking religious law. And you say, but Tim, haven't the disciples said you're the Son of God or you're who you are or you're the Chosen One or you're the Christ before? Yes, but not like this. How's it different? Because the other times it was on the heels of a miracle and they're going, holy cow, you're the Son of God. Storms are ceased. Wowee, you're Jesus. You must be the Messiah. Or on the heels of feeding so many people, man, you only God can do that. You are the Messiah. Emotional. Emotional fluff. Here, Peter is saying this away from Jerusalem, away from all the hype, and privately, in a very sane and very straightforward manner, looks and goes, you know what? After thinking about this and just being logical, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If he'd have said that in Jerusalem, it would have stoned him. And by saying it in a Roman town, when you know that the emperor was called... By the way, did you know when Julius Caesar died and Octavian took over, he incorporated his name, and he was... And, and by the way, during that, during that uh, time of Julius Caesar's death, a comet went across the sky, a star. People were so excited about it, they said they associated Julius Caesar with deity... That made Octavian his son, the son of God. They would celebrate the birth of Octavian. They called it, and I don't even like the word, Advent. 
They actually called it that. A lot of churches still call it the Advent. And there's such parallel between Octavian and Jesus. He was, he, they said he brought salvation to the Roman Empire. He brought peace to the Roman Empire. They called him the Prince of Peace. So for Peter to say, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, he says, not Caesar. And his town named after him, no, you're the one, Lord. I'm not going to let my culture tell me it's Caesar. I'm not going to let my... I'm not going to let my culture tell me who I think you are. I'm going to let you show me who you are. And I'm going to accept what you say you are. And after study and thought, without a bunch of hype, I make that choice. My traditions can have an impact on how I see Jesus. There's a little book out. And I've got it, I'm recommending it for 2015. It's called The Jesus of Suburbia. You see, guys, there's, the, there's the, the Jesus of tradition and the Jesus of the gospel. There's the Jesus of tradition, and we're all touched by this virus. Then there's the Jesus of the gospels. Let me say it this way. There's the Jesus of Christianity today and the Jesus of the Gospels. Let me say it another way. There's the American Jesus and then there's the Jesus of the Gospels. Let me say it another way. There is the... I'll say it like this. The Jesus, the Savior Jesus and the Lord Jesus. You've got to figure this out. When Jesus says, who do you say I am? Yes, he's Savior. My goodness, of course, I'm so glad. By the grace of God, I'm saved. By works, I'm saved. And it's his works on the cross, absolutely. And thank God, you know, to, to, you know we just celebrated a holiday that said, to you, a Savior, to, unto you, a Savior is born. But it says, Christ Jesus, the Lord. And this Jesus of suburbia that we have, guys, is where my heritage and my culture have influenced me to, to kind of embrace this idea of Jesus as a mild-mannered, soft-spoken, even pictures he looks like he might need a blood transfusion, quiet, easy, never demanding Jesus. Oh no, he picks up the sheep. And gently, and the Bible says he does this, that he does, and he is gentle. And Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. Jesus, they thought he might be Jeremiah because he had such emotion to people. He cried when Lazarus was dead, not only for the death of Lazarus, but also the, the way the people, the lack of faith. He cried over Jerusalem. I'm not, I want you to know, it's great, but a lot of people are stuck with Savior Jesus, and they admire that. But then there's Lord Jesus who says, if you're going to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. And by the way, he says this. He, he tells them after this great confession, by the way, guys, um, I'm going to be killed. Huh? And Peter, who just said those wonderful words, never, is what he says now. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Huh? You just said I was a rock. Now you're calling me the devil. 
they, they liked, they liked, like we like, the Savior part of Jesus. But this Lord part of Jesus, that's a totally different deal. You know, what's encouraging to me to know is this, is that I, can, I don't have to know everything about Jesus. just need to learn. Because Peter was still in the learning stage, okay? You don't have to know everything about Jesus to become a Christian. But you need to learn all you can about Jesus to grow. And that's what Peter's doing here. He's, he's at a place where, you know, he, he goes up and down. Who doesn't? Who doesn't, in other words? But you see this guy. You see, you see that he has this concept of Jesus and God is changing it. And guys, I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, as we look at Christ, do, I want to ask you just to, just to think about this. I don't mean to, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to run you out of here, but you guys, we've got to understand how you see Christ matters. Do you have a custom-made Jesus that's made to, to suit you and comfort you and supply everything you want and take care of you and that's what he's about? What am I going to get from you, Jesus? Or is it, you've done enough for me. What do I need to do for you? How do you see Jesus Christ matters so much and our culture and our heritage are constantly making influential effort to change or morph or distort our idea of Jesus. Here's a third one, and that's my God. My culture can do it, my heritage can do it, but also God can. He can give me a picture of Jesus. Look what he says, blessed are you. Circle blessed. He's saying, man, Peter, happy, fortunate. You're to be envied. How blessed you are. Because you, Simon, son of Jonah, your mom and dad, your, I know your dad, this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. What's he mean? It wasn't revealed to you by people. You didn't get this from, the, from where you live. You didn't get this from where you worshipped. You got this directly, it says, from my Father in heaven. Now look, at, look at how the Amplified Version says it. Then Jesus answered him, Blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood, that is men, have, have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You know, guys, I've learned something. Flesh and blood cannot understand God. If you're depending on flesh and blood... To help you understand, God, you and I are in trouble. We're flawed, sinful, and messed up. And we can't figure out how to live our lives, period. Let alone, the, you know, how in the world can we figure out what God's all about without His help? Without His help. He says, flesh and blood. You can think about this. Well, how did God reveal? How did God reveal this to to Peter. Have you thought about that? I was thinking about that. How did, how did his father, Jesus says, my father revealed this to you. Well, it must have been supernatural. He must have had a dream. That's what, yeah, yeah, he had a dream or a vision. You think so? You check out places where, where the Bible shows you how Jesus revealed himself or how God revealed his son, and they're on the Mount of Transfiguration. A cloud comes down. But it's a voice from heaven that says, this is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. It's the Word of God. John the Baptist is in prison. 
And you know, he's, he's getting discouraged because he's been a faithful guy and all of a sudden he's in prison and he's, he's tried to be, tried to get everybody ready to hear about Jesus and he's thinking, am I going to get out of here? So he asks the buddy, hey, go find out if he's really who he says he is. I want to know if this is worth it. And so he goes, comes back. Yeah, what did he say? Did he say when I'm getting out of here? No, he didn't, he didn't say that. What did he say? He said, you'd understand this, John, that the blind can see, the dead are raised, poor, they're all took care of, blessed is the man who doesn't fall away on account of me. What, what does that mean? I can see John go, what it means is I'm not getting out of here. And it means to me that it is worth it. He is who he is. When I look at Jesus, how did the Father reveal himself to Peter? Peter had been Peter had been going following Christ for you know a couple of years now. Saw everything, you know, all this stuff. Do you think Peter's you know, he got some additional information that you and I aren't privy to? No. The Father revealed Himself or, or His Son to to Peter by the words and life of Jesus. It was simply by the words and life of Jesus. That's what convinced him. You get, you get a picture of Jesus from watching God's Son. That's how, the, that's how the Father reveals. I heard somebody say it this way. God loves to reveal His Son to people who are blind so they can see His Son. He gives them sight so they can see. Look at this passage here as we close this point out. At this time, Jesus said, "Praise! I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. What's He saying? Jesus says, I can reveal myself just fine. How, did, how does Peter, how does the Father do that? He says, look at my son. Listen to my son. And you're going to know who he is. So there's a commitment that you and I have to make. And I hope you'll make it this year. That tonight as we look at this new theme, that you'll make this commitment. I am going to know who Jesus is. I want to know him more than a, a nice guy. I don't want to have a suburban Jesus. I don't want to have a Jesus based on my culture. I want to have a, a Jesus based on what does the Bible say and who is He really like? Because guys, when you really know who Jesus is, it changes your life. Why should I, why should I deepen my, my uh, I have a better idea, why should I develop a better idea of Jesus? Let me give you these three and then we'll be done. First, because my idea of Jesus determines what I believe. He says, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. He's talking about Peter's faith. In Matthew 7, Jesus said this way, The words I speak, here's how specific he is. He's the, the words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. He's saying, what I say matters. 
And my view of Jesus determines what I believe. See, that's the difference between admiring Him and adoring Him. I can admire Him. He's a great guy, great teaching. But adoring Him is incorporating those teachings in my life. It's obeying those things. It's becoming what He calls me to be. Number two, I should, I should develop a better idea of Jesus because my idea of Jesus affects the condition of the church. The health and wealth of the church is determined by the faith of its members. I tell you, Peter, on this rock I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I told you earlier that in, in this Caesarea Philippi there were 14 shrines or temples devoted to Baal. What you may not know is there's a cave that happens to be in this town. And at this cave... It's believed that Baal walked into this cave into death itself, and they refer to it as the gates of hell. So Jesus is telling them, guys, telling Peter, Peter, because you believe this about you, see, you finally get it. Okay, listen, first of all, it's going to change. You're a rock. You're rock solid now. And the church that I build, I'm going to build a church based on that kind of viewpoint. And let me tell you something, Peter. It will never die. Death cannot kill it. I worry about Greater Alton. And this passage helps me to go, you know what, Tim? Maybe you shouldn't worry so much. Because some of you here have what Peter has. And as long as there's people that have the faith of Peter to say, you know what, you're not just a Messiah, you're the Messiah. You're not just a Lord, you're the Lord. You're not of the living God. This church will never die. Churches die because they quit believing that. They start buying into the American Jesus, the suburban Jesus. You see, because Peter had studied this out, and because he was, had a sincere, studied conviction, not based on hype, but based on the words and what he is seeing and hearing from Jesus, then Jesus could build something on his faith. And guys, I want to tell you, the church, the health of this church, how healthy do you want it to be? What kind of church do you want Greater Alton to be? Because it's becoming what you want it to be. Well, it should be what God wants it to be. That's nice theology, and that's nice theory. But guys, to be quite honest, it's becoming what you believe it to be. And if you want it to be a selfish, self-centered, give me church, or somebody else can take care of that, I'm too busy, church. That's what it's going to become. So the church is becoming what you are right now. I know that's true. It's interesting that Peter, because of this, this, this incredible confession of faith and admission, all the other guys fall in line. What about Judas? Well, okay, he didn't quite work out. But everybody else fell in line. Everybody else got, got on board. And they said it with their lives. You see, the health of this church, people are, are getting something from you and learning and grow and getting something from you, you understand? And it's all based on how you see Jesus in 2015. 
What kind of church are we going to be? It's going to be determined by what you see in Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing. Because my idea of Jesus shapes how I live in God's kingdom. Again, what's Jesus say? Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Now, everybody's got an idea. What does that mean? I'll tell you what I know it means. I won't tell you what I think it means. I'll tell you what I know it means. It means that when I see Jesus clearly, I see my purpose. When I, when I see Jesus clearly and I'm, I have the faith in that, then God can build something and God's going to give you and I something to do. I know that much. He's saying, here's some keys, Peter. Here's some responsibility. Here's a special work. So when I see Jesus clearly, I recognize my purpose. When I see Jesus clearly, I recognize my ministry. I am so glad we have things here at church. I think it's good, you know, uh, first service, I said, guys, you know, we got volunteers and, and some of you have just come out of the kids' ministry. This is your first service back. And you, you know, you're getting your sanity back. You know, it's great. And, we, you know, and, I, and I, I want you to know there was a time when Greater Alton had so many ministries. Remember the ministry fair we used to have? We'd have, we'd have all these ministries. Yeah, I really miss those days. I'm not so sure. I don't want to sound like I'm anti. I, I, I want us to have ministries at church. I would love for us to have a Celebrate Recovery ministry here. I'd love to see that, okay, once again. I'd love to have ministry that was taking care of special needs. But the problem sometimes, guys, the reason we were doing that so much is because it wasn't getting done anywhere else. We weren't doing, taking it anywhere else. And I, I'm just saying, big deal, you got a ministry... And you call it, and you got a nice logo, and you've got a group of people coming, but then you leave, and you go to your neighborhoods, and you go where you work, and you don't recognize needs, and you don't do anything there. Doesn't that matter too? Jesus Christ, when He said to Peter, He said, i got some keys of some things that have got to be unlocked, and some things that have got to be bound. I got to get, there's some doors we've got to go through, and, and, and they're not just the church doors. He's saying, man, it's, it's your whole life. The whole, my strategy. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? And may, part of that is, you know what? We're going to have a ministry here, and we're going to do some things here, and we're going to bring some people here and help them here. You know, if they've lost a loved one, or, or they've got an addiction, or, or, there's, or there's some abuse, or something. Absolutely. But, you know, Jesus really wants us to be out there too. The best stuff happens inside and outside. Look at, look at this, 1 John 1. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. He says, you know, we've seen this. We're walking with God and we walk with Jesus and we see and we hear these things and because of that, we speak up to you if you come to the services. No. Wherever we are. Some of you, 
have been talking to people at restaurants. You're talking to people at work. You're talking to people on car lots. You're talking to people at parks. You're talking to people at, at leisure world or exercise places or war rooms, wherever. And that, to me, is thrilling to hear about. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. Notice here, 2 Corinthians 4. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. We said we carry what Jesus was about, coming and dying this earth. We, we bring this and take it with us. We carry around in our body what He's done for us so we can reveal it. Why do you carry on the body? Because I want to be able to reveal it wherever the body is. Home, work, play, even on vacation. Let me ask you this morning, what's your idea of Jesus? Is He a good man? He's more than a good man. Is He a prophet? He's more than a prophet. He's my Savior. Praise God. He's more than a Savior. We're going to take this series, we're going, to, we're going to tear this apart and break this down and go, what is Jesus really about? Because it affects so many things in our lives, guys. It's important to recognize Jesus for who He really is. I'm reminded of a story in Luke chapter 2. Uh, Mary and Joseph, they lose track of Jesus. Remember this? He's about 12. They're at the temple. And they lose Jesus. Wait a second. They're at church and they lose track of Jesus. It happens a lot. Huh? We lose track. We forget who Jesus Right in the middle of worship service? Absolutely. But I thought if two or more are gathered in His name, He's in the midst of them. Yeah, but sometimes they don't notice it. We forget. They leave. They leave at separate times because the conversation is a day later. Where's Jesus? I thought He was with you. What? We left a 12-year-old in town? Are you crazy? No cell phone. Back to town they go. They start looking. And they search. And they search. It says they search three days. And when they finally find Jesus, they're saying, Babe, we were worried about you. We're trying to find you. And where did they find Him? At church. Found him in the temple where he's always been. He never moved. Have you lost track of Jesus? And you know, I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him. You are. I found Jesus. You still looking? They had Jesus for twelve years and lost track of him. You can lose Jesus, you can have him for a long time and still lose track of him. And I want you to know this morning, this series is about trying to find Christ again. Finding out who He really is about. Let me challenge you to think about something else. When's the last time you confessed out loud Jesus is the Son of God? That He's the Messiah, the Son of the living God? And you say, you think that matters? Yes. Well, I'll admit it inside my heart. 
We're to confess it before men. And let me, let me say this. I, just, I think there's some powerful, that's a powerful statement when it's said from a sincere heart and it's true. And sometimes we need, I think in 2015, why don't we say that into every situation we're in? I'm going through a tough time, but Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I don't know where I'm going to get my next job, but Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'm looking at this ugly thing that's in front of me, and it's beyond me. I don't know what to do with it. It's, it's bigger than I can imagine, but Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I want to challenge you to say that often. Wherever you're at, wherever you're in. When he asks you, Who do you say I am, Tim? I want to be able to say, You're the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. You have a card in your bulletin. It's a time to think and maybe reflect. And a lesson like this I find heady sometimes. But sometimes we've got to look at um, the heart that's here. You know, not the pumper, but the, but what we think, our ideas. Because they, the ideas we have now determine what will be. And so maybe there's something this morning you want to make a decision about. Maybe you want to decide, you know what? I am going to really study out who Jesus is. Or, Tim, I, I've lost Jesus. I've got to find Him again. You know, I'm not helping the church. I, I'm not making the church healthy because I'm not healthy. And it's because I've lost track of Jesus. I'm going to give you a, a, a moment to do this while we sing a song. And then we'll sing another song and take up uh, those cards along with our regular contribution. God bless you. May it be a great 2015 for you. Dedicated to God. Come back tonight and let's celebrate together a new year. Let's pray. Holy God, we praise You, Father. Thank You for Your Word. Your Word is powerful. Father, I just we think about right now, I know some of us here are thinking, how much is the culture, how much is the heritage, and how much of You had to do with our concept of Your Son? If we could admit anything, Father, what would we admit I've let the culture kind of have its way with, with my idea of Your Son? Or has it been my heritage? I just think about when I grew up going to a little Methodist church in the country. Jesus was the wonderful, sweetest thing and would always accept me and never reject me. And, that, and I love those thoughts, but I don't remember anybody talking about but He expects me to be His disciple. Lord, I, I want you to know, I, I, I don't want to just admire Jesus. I want to adore Him. And Father, we don't want to just be a church of, that admires these, these concepts, these words, these, these nice things that you've said, these helpful things, Father. You know, um, we pray that we'll, we'll be able to grow into an adoration that, that doesn't water down what you're about, but embraces the revolutionary ideal that accompanies your Son. He came to shake the world up, Lord. So help us see that he's, he's going to shake ours, and that's what He still wants to do. Lord, I, 
I pray for all of us here at Greater Alton. Help us in our unbelief. We believe in you, but Father, help us in our unbelief like the disciples. We fall short sometimes. We don't trust you fully. Help us, help us, Father. Reveal your Son to us through your Holy Spirit, through your Word, Father, through thoughts, through ideas, through things from you, from heaven itself. Reveal your true, the son, your Son's true identity so it will affect what we believe and how we handle ourselves. Lord, we pray that greater Alton will become healthier and stronger. Father, I pray when death comes, and death has visited us many times. I'm not talking about a member dying, Lord. I'm talking about you know, Satan attacks, and it's like death itself is at the gate, Lord. Help us see the enemy at the gate and that you take care of it, that you'll take care of it. God, give us the faith that will keep this church alive that the gates of hell cannot overcome. Give us that kind of faith, Father. And Father, what do you want us to do with the rest of our lives in your kingdom? Because we know when we see you clearly, when we see your son clearly, we see our purpose, we see our ministry, we see what we're supposed to be doing, we see our responsibility. Let us take it seriously, Lord. And give by and doing that, give you all the praise. Let your son be revealed through us in 2015. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.